Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. There's this fictitious story that I imagine that many of you have heard before. It, ta- it talks about a man on a cruise ship, and the ship crashes on a reef and begins to sink. Now, there's the one passenger on this cruise ship is a man of great faith. And he remembers that Jesus said, if you pray with the faith, faith of a mustard seed, I will answer your prayers. So he said a very devout prayer asking for God to save him from the sinking ship. Time goes on, the crew begins to assemble all the passengers into the lifeboats, and then they come across him and they invite him as well, but the man answers, no thanks, I'll stay here. After the crew evacuates, the passengers and the crew, the Coast Guard shows up. They come up with some speedboats, they pull alongside, they're looking for anybody left there still. They say, get on board, we're going to save you. But the man says, no, I'm going to stay here. God will come to rescue me. And finally, as the cruise liner was about to sink, a helicopter arrived. But the man didn't accept the helicopter's offer of help either. And so the boat sinks and he drowns. Now, he's a man of great faith, so he goes to heaven. And when he gets to heaven, he meets God. And he asks God, in a kind of begrudge sense, where were you? Why didn't you save me? You promised to hear the prayers of the people who said prayers with faith. Now, God is merciful, God is fatherly, God is compassionate, and so God decides to explain to him. He says, I am God, and I always listen to prayers and answer them. Indeed, I heard your prayers, and I answered them. I sent you the crew to save you, I sent you the helicopter to save you, and I sent you the Coast Guard to save you. But you did not want to accept my help. So the lesson that we can learn from both this story and the Gospel is that both the Jews in today's Gospel and this man on the cruise ship failed to perceive that God was at work because God was working in an unexpected fashion. The man on the cruise ship, he failed to perceive that God was in fact answering his prayers because he expected his prayers to be answered in a different fashion. He expected God to act in a particular way and he was not willing to accept any other kind of help. He had already determined how God was going to save him and nothing else would do. A number of the Judeans, the Jews from today's gospel, are suffering from the same kind of stubbornness. The blind man, on the other hand, whose sight is restored, is docile to God's way of doing things. So we want to see how did the Jews respond and how did the blind man respond, who is also a Jew, so that we can imitate the blind man's response and avoid acting like the Jews. So first of all, how did the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem respond? Let's remember just the context. They've been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come and to save them. It was something which every Jew was looking for. However, they wanted their Messiah to behave in a very particular fashion. And Jesus was not behaving in that particular fashion. Over and over again, we see proofs that corroborate him as the Messiah. He is healing people all the time. He's exercising demons. He's walking on water. He's multiplying bread. He's reading minds. 
We're going to see in next week's gospel that he raises somebody from the dead. He's fulfilling all the prophecies of the Old Testament about the Messiah. He's even, at his baptism and the transfiguration, testified to by God the Father. The Father's voice is audibly heard, saying, This is my Son. But despite all these proofs, the Jews said, He's not acting as we expect the Messiah to act, therefore he can't be the chosen one. In fact, they essentially confessed to being closed-minded during their interrogation of the blind man. The gospel says the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged him as the Christ, he would be expelled from the synagogue. They had already decided this is not the one that God sent. The man on the ship had already decided how God was going to save him, and these Jews had decided what kind of Messiah they were going to accept. Let's keep in mind that this is not the reaction of all of Jesus' Jewish contemporaries, just some of them. But they wanted a different kind of Messiah. They didn't like the way Jesus lived. He was poor. He suffered a lot. He associated with sinners. They didn't like his teaching. He talked about surpassing the Mosaic law. They didn't like the fact that he would die on a cross. They refused to accept that this was the anointed one. And it was really irrational. It doesn't make much sense. And even the blind man points this out in the dialogue between him and the Pharisees. Because he says, this is amazing. We believe that only a good person is capable of working miracles. And here we have this man performing miracles, but yet you say he's not a good man. It's contradictory. If this man is in fact performing miracles, he must be sent from God but they refused it because they didn't like what he was doing. In the first reading today, we see God behaving in an unexpected manner as well, and Samuel, the prophet, having to conform himself to God's plan as well. Because Samuel is sent to anoint the king, and he's got his own ideas of what the king should look like. He shows up to the house of Jesse, and he says, one of your sons is going to be chosen by the Lord. But he doesn't know which of the sons, so he has to look at all the sons. He's got to stand, have them all stand in front of him. And the firstborn son comes up and Samuel says, this is a kingly figure. He's tall, he's smart, he's strong, he looks good. But the Lord says, not him. And the second son comes up and the same thing happens. Look at this guy, he's powerful, he's very charismatic, he must be the king of Israel. God says, no, not him either. And so on until you get through all seven sons and it turns out that David's in the field somewhere with the sheep. And only then is the next king of Israel anointed. So Samuel had his own idea of what the king of Israel should look like, and God had a very different idea. But Samuel was docile. He changed his plans. He conformed his criteria to that of God. He wasn't stubborn and demand that we anoint the firstborn who looked like the most competent. And like Samuel, the blind man in today's gospel is open to receive Jesus' revelation because he's not attached to his own view of how things are supposed to work. We might imagine it was easy for the blind man, because after all, he was blind and then he could see. So of course he's going to believe anything Jesus says. But let's remember, it took a great amount of faith, and he didn't start out with that kind of faith. He was told to go wash some mud off of his eyes that somebody had just made with their own saliva. 
and he could have objected. Well, if you are so powerful, why don't you just wave your hand over me and cure me? But he didn't. He went to the pool. And just think about this. If somebody were to come up to you and put mud on your head and say, if you go wash that mud off in the Chesapeake, you're going to be a lot smarter, would you do it? And you could say, well, if Jesus told me to do it, I would do it. But he doesn't yet know who Jesus is. When the, his contemporaries first asked this previously blind man who cured you, he simply said, the man, Jesus. He's just another person. Later on, when the, when the, when the Pharisees ask him, he says he's a prophet. And later, he says he's a man sent from God. And then finally, when he encounters Jesus, he says to Jesus, Sir, this title of great respect. And then when Jesus tells him he is the Son of Man, the blind man calls him Lord and worships him. The blind man was able to recognize Jesus for who he was because he didn't demand that the Messiah act in a particular way. We can be guilty of the same sins as the Pharisees in today's gospel when we try to shape the faith in accord with our criteria as opposed to live the faith in accord with how Christ has revealed it to us. That is to say, we try and change the faith and not change ourselves. And we see this happening today, for example, on a national level with this German Synodal Council. They want the laity to, to co-govern the church and preach in masses. They want to bless couples that are not validly married and other people who can never be married. But it's not just something which is happening up in those, in those areas. Individuals can also be guilty of this temptation to change the church rather than change themselves. For example, I still hear this today. We're talking about two or three years after COVID. People still are under the impression that it's just as good to go to mass online as it is in person. And that's not what the church teaches. That's what they have decided, but that's not the case. Or that it's acceptable to adopt immoral lifestyles because Jesus was welcoming. Others could prioritize their political party's platforms over the teachings of the church about issues like immigration, the environment, abortion. They say the church is a little bit off here. We need to be more in line with my political party. Some people can say they can get their mortal sins forgiven without the sacrament of confession. But that's not what the Lord says. We are not the creators of the church. We are recipients of it. Some people say they can get, some people say that their sins are not actually mortal, like missing mass on Sunday. They excuse themselves. But who said that wasn't mortal? The Lord didn't say that. The church doesn't teach that. Or that hell can't be real because a good God wouldn't make something like that. All these people are guilty of trying to modify God and his church to their liking instead of modifying themselves in conformity with divinely revealed truth. Catholics of this persuasion are sometimes crudely called cafeteria Catholics because they pick and choose what they like as if the truths of the faith were the toppings available in a salad bar. The Catholic way is to accept the church as God has designed it and live in accord with its teachings. As St. Ignatius put it, we're supposed to go to God and not expect God to come to what we desire. Or like in the Our Father, 
we pray, thy will be done. We don't say, my will be done. There's a big difference there. God is not supposed to adjust the truth to fit my preferences or my pre-established beliefs. Mother Seton did this when she entered the Catholic Church. She was already baptized, so she didn't have to get baptized when she entered the church. But she did have to receive confirmation, first communion, and she made a formal profession of faith. Like she stated in public that she believed everything that the Council of Trent taught, because that was the summary of the beliefs of the church. And later that night, the same day she made that profession of faith, she's by herself and she's laughing because she doesn't actually know what the Council of Trent taught. But she made this profession to believe it. And it was a real profession of faith. But the point here is that she didn't first check the truths of the Council of Trent. She didn't first see, okay, does it make sense? Do I agree with it? Okay, it all seems to match up. Let's do it. I believe in it. She was willing to conform herself to what the council taught. She was willing to go along with what the church taught, regardless of what it was. Let's ask Our Lady to intercede for us today that we might not be stubborn like that drowned man or the Pharisees about what our faith should be like or how God should behave. Rather, that we may be open to accepting and living the faith that Christ taught and Mother Seton embraced. 